In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCE and friend, Eddie Johnson. Michael Dexter and Mark Eggers talk with Eddie about his nursing career and the various roles he has had along the way. This episode is called Emergency Care, Critical Care, Correctional Care. Hello, and welcome to BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Mark Eggers, Manager of Education and Technology Services at BCN, and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hey, Mark. Great to be with you today. Thank you. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Eddie Johnson. Michael, could you please tell us about our BCN and friend, Eddie? Yeah, I would be happy to. Eddie Johnson is a skilled nursing professional with a varied clinical background in both the acute and subacute care settings. Focused and hardworking, he strives for clinical excellence through an evidence-based multidisciplinary team approach, ensuring only the best outcomes. He leads by example, empowering other team members to also excel in providing only the best care to those whom they serve. He takes nothing more serious than his job or the trust built between himself and the community. His keen clinical judgment and nursing intervention is the culmination of only working in the most difficult practice settings, including the ER, trauma, critical care, and the recovery room and correctional settings. Eddie is also passionate about being a lifelong learner and has extended his care through the education of others, ensuring nursing standards are upheld and that the next generation of nurses are committed as well as confident yet competent. He lives that philosophy day to day through every interaction with team members and what patient situations may arise. Eddie, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks, that's such a, such a good introduction. I couldn't have written one better myself. <laughs> well, great. Well, I'm really excited to have you with us because I feel like you have a very interesting background. I feel like you've done a lot and I think you have some really good insight for nurses that work in these emergency, even transport settings, but maybe don't see things quite through the lens that you see them through, especially in regards to correctional. So I wanna to get to that. But before we do, just tell us a little bit more about yourself. What got you interested in nursing? Kind of how have you taken this career path in, in working in these different areas over your nursing career? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me, and it's great to be here with you guys. Um, uh, I actually never wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to be a zoologist uh, or a conservationist, and it just didn't work out. So in high school, um, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, and in high school, I knew that I would have to do something to, to go to college, to go to school. Um, so I came from an underserved community. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about New Orleans, Louisiana. I know you're from Louisiana, but um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to, to New Orleans. Um, so there was a Health Occupation Students of America program, or HOSA, uh, where, you know, in high school, you take a couple classes. And then as a senior, you go to the hospital the first, um, I guess, couple hours of the day, and you shadow each different health occupation throughout the hospital. So I wanted to be a physical therapist. And then I followed a physical therapist around. I was like, this is awful. I'm so bored. I can't do this. And then I met a nurse who was so amazing and focused and caring. Uh, she was well-respected by the physicians, loved by patients. Um, 
also respected by our coworkers. And I said, you know, I want to, I want to be that. I want to have that rapport. I want to have the autonomy. Um, and since then, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Even though I still want to be a, a zoologist, I, uh, um, I, I just can't see myself doing anything else. So um, background, I started off in infectious disease, uh, Fort Lauderdale Broward Health Hospital. That population was very difficult. Um, not only the infectious disease piece, but the comorbidities. So HIV, hepatitis, with that usually comes some substance abuse. Um, then I started working corrections, transferred to the ER, probably up two years, I'm still at Broward Health, level one trauma center. Um, so I did ER a couple years, I got into trauma. Uh, in 2015, I went to critical care because uh, I really yearned for something more and it was it was not the best setting for me. Um, I, I don't think it was critical care. I think it was the management, some other issues. I'm sure we've all faced staffing, patient ratio. We did not have a voice. So I then transferred to the recovery room. Uh, by that time, I had my master's degree, different certifications, and I, I just needed something more. Started teaching at Florida Atlantic University and you know how education can be. I realized I was poor and then I had graduate student loans to pay off. So I started traveling and then uh, I went to Alaska and the recovery room also worked in ER uh, because they didn't have a lot of very experienced nurses there. I also doubled as an educator because um, my background is in nursing education. Uh, and since then, I've, I've just been kind of hopping around um, doing different assignments and uh, usually I double as the educator if they don't have one or as assistant nurse manager. So for the past year, most recently, I was in uh, Massachusetts as their assistant nurse manager in the recovery room. Wow. So you have uh, quite the varied degree of experience with these different areas as well as different uh, components of nursing in general in terms of staff nursing, education, managerial, and those things. And but I, I did want to go back because you had mentioned these different areas that you've worked or different fields of nursing. Tell me more about how these fields all kind of complement each other. So we know patients will go from the ER into the ICU. And we know that some patients will come from the PACU and go into the ICU. But tell me a little bit about how all these fields, as you've moved in these different roles, more, more of the clinical side than, than managerial educational, how do these clinical roles seem to complement each other? And as you move from one into the other, where have you found that strengths in previous fields have been so useful in, in these new fields that you've been in? Michael, that's such a good question. I've never been asked that question before. That's such a good question. Um, so first and foremost, I think for, for new graduates, because I was a graduate nurse, I was hired as a graduate nurse and yourself went straight to, you know, a specialty area, but I went to a floor. You know, I think when you graduate, it's a really good idea and everybody's different. It was a really good idea for me to go to a floor, a medical tele floor to manage these chronic conditions, right? These people are sick, they might die, but they're not gonna die right now. So that nursing judgment, that nursing management, time management, you give a medication and you monitor its response. So as you know, years pass, then you know that medication, you know it's half-life, you know how it's gonna work, you can estimate how much is gonna drop their blood pressure. So that 
subacute area, medical, surgical, tele, was you know where I first started, and that really gave me a very strong foundation. Then when I went to the ER, I got the acute exacerbation of those chronic conditions, right? right. So I knew I knew how to manage chronic. Now I'm adding that acute piece. I think critical care is the pinnacle of nursing care, as you would agree. You know, you have all these drips, you have to uh, manage the physicians, manage patient care. As nurses, we are managers of patient care. We do not manage a patient's care. It's kind of a spin on words there. So in critical care, I had the medical surgical background. Then I had the acute as patients coming through the door, what are we going to do right now to save their life? Then I got the deep critical care aspect of their care, bedside procedures, um, ECMO, which I didn't do by myself and I was kind of afraid of it. Um, you know, all these different things, balloon pumps. Um, unfortunately, I didn't stay there. Um, and then when I went to PACU, I think PACU is the ER of the inpatient area. So I had that quick, you know, chronic thought process. I had that critical thinking. I had clinical judgment. So now I'm putting it all together and seeing these patients when they come out of the ER, uh, sorry, come out of the, the OR, uh, if they're bleeding, if they're not ventilating right, or if they're not oxygenating, perfusing, if there's a clot, um, if they have a pneumothorax, I'm able to, to quickly assess and, and get all these things. Then I send the patient on about their way. So the ER really helped me with that nursing management, that nursing judgment. Medical surgical helped me with those basic and that foundational knowledge that you need in critical care gave me, I feel like that pinnacle, that apex knowledge and really critical thinking and clinical judgment that I needed to be successful in the PACU. So they really are very intertwined more so than people think. There's a lot of knowledge gaps that you have to you know, overcome when you're, you're moving through these different areas, but they're all very intertwined. And I think that's why ER nurses do so well in PACU once they do transfer um, or if they do transfer. Sometimes critical care nurses don't do as well when they come from the ICU to the ER or the ICU to the PACU. So it's just a different mindset. It's a different thought process and it's a different approach to the patient. Obviously, we're all still nurses, but it's definitely a different approach based on that care setting. Okay, well, great. Thank you for that, because uh, that is just, it's a very unique way of, of seeing the world through these different lenses. And as you mentioned, sometimes people will have a difficult time transitioning from one of these fields of nursing to another, but um, I do appreciate your insight on that. And one thing that you did not mention, uh, you're one of the few people I've ever seen or met that has a correctional health certification. So one thing that you didn't mention in those components was the correctional health aspect. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And again, how correctional health nurses need to approach patient care? So a couple things. Corrections is very, very difficult. Obviously, first, because of the aspect you're dealing with an offender. Not every person who is in jail or in prison is guilty. We as nurses should not be judging. We as nurses should not be involved in that process. But hey, we're human. I excelled in that setting because I never judged anyone. I excel with mental health patients for the same reason. I talk to them just like I would speak to you or anybody else. 
Correctional health has been amazing for me. I get along very well in the setting. I'm not afraid. Um, there's been times where I've been afraid, but um, you know, working in these very large facilities has given me a different aspect to life, a different aspect in how I approach patient care also. So I started in Broward, uh, Broward County Jail, which was the main jail. There was a couple different satellites, but it was a very large facility, about 1,700 inmates typically. Um, so I started out as an intake nurse, then I became the charge nurse for about three years. And then I started doing prisons, which I prefer to be in a prison than a jail. But um, I worked at South Carolina Department of Corrections, Alaska Department of Corrections, and King County, which was also a jail uh, in Seattle. So the certification came in because I would like to be a legal nurse consultant or an expert witness. So I'm kind of getting into that now. So I feel like it's very important for people to be certified in the area that they practice. And that was something after I finished grad school was very important to me that I be certified in the area that I practice. So I hold a couple of different certifications that you, you mentioned, um, one for corrections, the CCHP. So it's certified correctional health provider. Then you have to sit for the registered nurse exam. So it's a little bit different approach to patient care because you really have to learn the regulations. And I think that was more difficult than the actual nursing piece, obviously, because we're already nurses, but um, there's so many regulations that these inmates are subject to, and then correctional professionals are subject to, um, that it makes things can, can be cumbersome. But you mentioned something that it's important for correctional nurses to be aware of. I think it's more important for nurses outside of the correctional system to be aware of the challenges that inmates can face navigating care. When you come to the ER for a medical clearance, sometimes, I don't wanna make a generalization, but sometimes things are overlooked. Sometimes they're a shoot out the door. And when these inmates go to these facilities, sometimes there's one nurse for 1,500 people. Sometimes there's two LPNs in the whole facility. Sometimes there's no one. Sometimes these screenings are done by officers. And officers, though they may have training to you know, evaluate someone, they're not healthcare professionals. So it's really important, I think, for people who are outside of the correctional system to understand the challenges and to really kind of perk their ears up when a inmate comes in with a complaint, whether it be chest pain or numbness or headache, dizziness, whatever it may be, to really evaluate those patients very, very carefully. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's an excellent point. I, you know, working in the ED and also having transported a number of prisoners in the past, I have seen instances where we just take what that correctional officer says or we take what the report is from that uh, care provider at the prison or the jail. And, and that really forms our basis of understanding. And unfortunately, some of these, these individuals are, are just pushed right back out the door, back to where they came from without always having a thorough evaluation. So I appreciate your insight on that. And uh, I did want to ask you again, more uh, related to, to your, your role as a staff nurse, an educator, an assistant manager, and you've helped with education and you've, you've educated even as you are now on this podcast, but you've educated others uh, throughout your career. And one of the things that we had talked about previously was the way you've educated on the use of waveform capnography. And 
you talk about that and, and it's utilized quite a bit in PACU, but do you see that used in other areas or, and of the areas that are using it, why do you think there seems to still be a hesitancy in nursing in general to use something that's non-invasive and pretty easy to manage on a patient? How much time do we have? <laughs> so, <laughs> so first, I put a lot of, and I don't want to say blame, I put a lot of the responsibility on facilities. I really do put a lot of responsibility on facilities. You go from working at Brigham and Women's, which is a magnet facility, and, and magnet facilities are really driven by nursing care. It's really nurse driven. Everything's done by research, evidence-based practice. So you go from there to, I don't wanna say facilities, but you go to different facilities and they have one capnogram in the whole department. Or they say, hey, we don't use that, or you have to call respiratory for a capnogram. That is the facility. I put that on the facility. You know, where I am right now, they don't even use capnography. There is not, they don't have the capability to monitor entitled CO2. They don't. So when I was in Alaska, we had that capability. It just was not being utilized. So I took it and used it. I used it all the time. You know, when there was a question about, hey, you know, is somebody really ventilating well? I can't really tell. Well, we can find out in two seconds. Then others started using it because they saw me using it. And then I did education. I put it on myself and then I went through, I also made a PowerPoint. Um, and I didn't stop with just that one presentation. I pushed and pushed and pushed. And at the point, it really did save someone's life. At one night, a nurse came in the next day and told me, well, I think it was a couple of days later, um, but told me that she was so much more confident using it. And this person actually went apneic and she was able to hear the alarm in two seconds. They actually had to bag the patient, re-intubate them, but that, that patient had a good outcome because I continued to push and push and educate. And I also think a gap lies that, hey, we know where it is. We know maybe how to use it, but we really may not understand how beneficial it is, whether that's estimating, you know, blood gas to, you know, adjust vent settings or, um, you know, if we're really trying to monitor for us. I don't think nurses really understand how to use it. And that's why also I've done a lot of education with really pushing about those advanced concepts. Before you get to advanced concepts, you have to have some foundational knowledge, right? So yeah. I started with that foundation and then I just kept on and kept on and say, hey, you can do this, um, you can do this. Hey, you can look for shunting. What if this patient has a clot? Well, put them on capnography. You can find out right then and there. So first I put it on the facility. I really do put it on the facility. Then I put it on the nurses not really being able to interpret those findings. Because sometimes you have to look at the patient. The capnogram can be telling you one thing, but you really have to look at the patient, look at their procedure, look at what's going on. With them. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a big advocate and I, I advocate for nurses, but the, the facilities really have to step it up in, in their use of capnography. Well, I really appreciate your response to that, even though it did not take you an hour. I mean, that's a short amount of time, but th thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, I feel I feel the same way you do. And there is a component. There is a component where at some point you have to have facility buy-in. You have to have upper managerial and executive leadership that agrees to it. 
But there's also a component of that where the nurse has to take some responsibility. And so, you know, kind of the last question I wanted to ask you before I turn it back over to Mark is whether a nurse is a corrections nurse, an ED nurse, ICU, PACU, we all have some responsibility for education of ourselves, for taking learning into our own hands. And as you've traveled around, as you've seen these different things, and as you've worked in not only different departments, but different layers of managerial experience, where do you feel continuing education and lifelong learning is so necessary in today's nursing environment? And how does that make you feel as an educator in promoting those educational concepts to the nurses that are around you? So Michael, first things first, um, when you're in and out of facilities, you see the tone, you see upper management, you see approach, and you see approach to patient care. I think first things first, you have to create an inclusive environment. And a lot of our facilities are focused on that bottom line financial, right? You can still focus on those finances and create an inclusive environment where nurses are appreciated, where they're valued as teammates, where they're valued as individuals, um, contributors, uh, where patients are also valued. You wanna create an environment that's inclusive first and foremost. So I think when there's not an inclusive environment where you don't have unit-based councils, where you don't pull that employee buy-in, it's very, very difficult to say, hey, why don't we do a certification challenge? Or why don't we see if we can get a, a certification 75% award, or we can get 100% award? Not only does it make you better, make you more valued in case you want to leave here, but it makes you a better practitioner because you have to pay for this exam couple hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, whatever it is, you're going to study because why? You don't want to take that again. You don't want to have to pay that fee again. So you're going to make sure that you're prepared. You're going to make sure that you study and do whatever it, it needs to, to be done to be successful. Then you get a discount if you join ENA or ASPAN. Well, that's our regulating body. They really regulate our practice. They put out practice alerts. They really pull us in, give us that continuing education and do different things for us to grow as a professional. So I think certification is very important and it does so much, not only for the department, but, but for us as individuals. With that said, it gives you that drive to be a continuing learner, a lifelong learner, right? Then once you get one certification, maybe you want to go to a different department, you want to do something else, or you want to go to a conference and you want to network with others. So I think that's a very, very good start. Not only that, the facility should pay for your certifications, whether that be a, you know, a clinical ladder or reimbursed or maybe 50 cent extra, give us 25 cent extra, something like that. That's going to give us the incentive to not only further ourselves, but better the department. When you think about lifelong learning, it's great to be uh, self-actualized. It's great to be the best that you can be. However, again, I put it on the facility. They should want the best practitioners. They should want people to go back and get their bachelor's, get their master's and grow within the facility. But they should also encourage that 
fiscally, financially, and it doesn't have to be a lot, they should encourage that learning outside of what's you know, mandated for state licensure. And I think they could do a lot more in that, in that aspect. Well, that's Eddie, really great, really great comments there. Really great conversation. I appreciate all of your insight and the thoughts that you've given all of the listeners on this topic as well. And I'm going to turn it over to Mark, but again, thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge with all of us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Eddie, a lot of good information, a lot of things you've done in your life. Just super. Can you tell us about a person or a moment in your career that greatly has impacted you? Does somebody come to mind or a moment come to mind? <laughs> so I've had some amazing, amazing preceptors. I've had some amazing nursing professors. I've just been surrounded by amazing people who have always pushed me to be the best that I can be and pushed me to go further. Um, so I want to thank all of them. Um, I can't name someone in particular just because there were so many. So if I name one person that's going to do a, a service to all the people who have, uh, you know, uplifted me when I was down, gave me a pat on the back and, and gave me that little push when I, when I needed it. But I have had some amazing coworkers also, even people that I've met through traveling, I still keep in contact with. Um, I, I'm just so grateful and appreciative of these people that are in my life. So I, I can't name one, but I think that has really allowed me to, to be the nurse and be the practitioner that I am today. Excellent. Thank you. Great. Now, a few rapid fire questions. What would you be doing if you were not in your current role? So I would be, hopefully I would be in Africa working with like large cats or something or conservation, working with I'm probably working with local law enforcement to try to find some way, uh, a collaborative way to end poaching and still have these people's families taken care of because that's, that's why they do it. Back to the zoology thing again. I got you. No, I understand. Thank you. Now, a few favorites. I'm going to ask you about some favorite things. Uh, a favorite book. So I'm going to sound like such a nerd. My favorite book is Pass the CCRN. I know that sounds crazy, but... Uh, Eddie, I'm uh, just going to go ahead and agree with you. That does sound like a nerd, but it's okay. We're, we're all in this together, buddy. You read that book? Years ago, I looked at uh, a, probably a different version of it, yeah. That is the best resource I've yet to use in my career. That Pass the CCRN book, I, I have two different copies. I, I put my name all over it. I loan people it. I don't let them take it home. <laughs> He would think that it was worth a million dollars. That's probably the best book I've, I've ever read. Excellent. Okay, great. How about your favorite movie? Yikes. I, I'm not a big movie person. <laughs> I could give a stupid answer, but I don't keep it to myself. Okay, that's fine. And how about a favorite song? Uh, so I love music. I love music. Chris Stapleton's, I, I would just probably say artist. Chris Stapleton's probably one of my favorite artists right now. I have, I have many. I, I don't even turn my TV on. I just have a radio, uh, Pandora on all day, all day, every day. Great. Super. Excellent. And how about a favorite comfort meal or comfort food? So being from the bayou, I love crawfish. I love jambalaya. Gumbo uh, is my favorite, probably. Um, but Asian food, Asian cuisine is, is probably my favorite. So that's healthy. I need to lose some weight, but you know. <laughs> No, that's fine. Super. 
And when all you're doing, all stuff's going on in your life, and you just moved down back to New Orleans from Alaska, and uh, do you have any hobbies or interests? So I love being out. I love being in the mountains. I love hiking. Um, so there's no elevation here. So I have four bikes. I have a gravel bike, a couple mountain bikes. So usually I'm on a trail. When I'm not working, I'm on a trail. Um, I'm actually studying for a couple different exams right now. I'm studying for my Kappa. Um, so that that's taking a lot of time. It's a little, it's, I hope it's not going to be that difficult, but um, yeah. So in between studying, working, spending time with family, that's why I came back. I'm always on a, on a trail, uh, on a bike somewhere. Excellent. Super <laughs> good exercise. Yep. So if our audience would like to follow you online, social media, I understand you're on LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm not a huge social media person. Um, I'm always open to emails. That's the best way to reach me. Um, I'm always collaborating with other people. Um, I'm doing some writing. I'm doing some item writing for a couple different things. Um, so I'm always open to collaborations. Not so much research right now, um, just because I've been so busy with everything else. But um, I'm working on a publication right now. Um, so just doing different things. If anybody wants to reach out to me, uh, absolutely. Um, E-D-D-I-E-J, like the letter 1985 at gmail.com. Um, and then you can uh, post my LinkedIn. Will do. And for everybody in the audience, we will post that out on the description. So you'll be able to see his LinkedIn address for Eddie and his email address. So, Eddie, I want to thank you for your time today, for joining us in this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you for sharing your time, your stories, just Great information. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a, it's been amazing talking with you. And congratulations, Mr. Dexter, on everything that you've done and uh, been able to accomplish. No, thank you. You've done. You have a, a just a very interesting background, varied in healthcare. I think you have some excellent insight. So thank you for all that you've done to impact uh, nursing profession and patient care. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. And to all of our listeners, we hope you'll stay tuned as we continue on with BCN and Friends and bring you new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Mark Eggers here with Michael Dexter. On behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you are doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, 